Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer and artist and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field. If you've been listening to this podcast or are new to it, I thank you very much. I would also appreciate it if you took a moment and followed it on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. I was introduced to this week's guest from Ace Antonio Hall, and I realized I've never had a guest on the podcast to discuss this important aspect of publishing, that of a publicist. Many questions over the years on the need to promote oneself have been addressed, but I've never addressed the role of an actual publicist. And what was interesting was that when I went to his site, several past Writers of the Future podcast guests, including a judge and winner, were his clients. So I'm very excited to have as a guest from Creative Edge Publicity, Mickey Mickelson. Welcome, Mickey. Hi, John. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to do this and uh, just looking forward to this conversation. Absolutely. So I guess to begin with, um, since I'm learning about the role of publicity, um, book publicity specifically from a company that actually does this for a living. So tell me a little bit about yourself and how you became a book publicist. I worked in a special events at Indigo Chapters for about two years back in 2002, and then moved my career to the insurance technology spectrum, traveling five days a week through Saskatchewan. It just so happens one of my coworkers wrote a book, and um, I mentioned I had this special event experience, and she asked me if I'd help promote it in some way, shape, or form. We were on a tour together through Alberta. Her name is Miranda O, by the way. Uh, She's out of Winnipeg. But we were in a tour in Alberta together, and I managed to get some signings for her, um, actually about six signings in Alberta. And then we ended up getting some more book signings in, in Winnipeg. And all of a sudden, word got out. She sold a ton of books. And then I had other authors, after doing this, start calling me and asking me if I could do the same for them. Not knowing anything about the media, not knowing anything about the book publishing vein, it just kind of fell into my lap. And that was in March of 2015. So by August, through word of mouth only, no advertising, I'd signed 35 clients in this little business I had. Mm -hmm. So that's how it all started. And then we went from there. And names got bigger as we went through this journey. Robert J. Sawyer signed in February of 2017, I believe. Good. Yeah, Robert is, is an amazing, just an amazing man and just he's a really good mm-hmm. friend. But then when I heard you saying like where you, where you started from your roots, I went, oh, okay, we got a Canadian here. So <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah, it is true. My wife's Canadian and um, we've got Melissa Yee is also up there in Canada and, and yeah. obviously Rob Sawyer. And um, I think you've also, who I've, I've had on my show is uh, Mark Leslie, who was... Yeah. He was actually president of the Canadian Booksellers Association for a bit. But uh, yeah, I had him on recently and he was, uh, I love his, his stories, his uh, werewolf in New York. And I'm waiting for, maybe it's already out, his werewolf in Los Angeles. Did that come out yes. already? Oh, it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it just came out a couple months ago. So um, I signed Mark and Melissa actually this, this year. Oh, wow. Um, made the decision to go full-time with this in September of 20, 2020 doing this part-time for four years before that, working the corporate job as well, and then took the plunge to go full-time. And at the time we had, I think, 35, 36 authors. Mm-hmm. We went up to 82 in the span of four months, and Melissa and Mark were, were two of that signings. So That's great. Mm-hmm. So, so now, what is an actual book publicist? What does a book publicist do 
And um, yeah, just that first is just as an overview. What does a book publicist do that an author doesn't or that it helps that it reinforces what an author already is doing? We're, um, I, I can't speak to what other publicists are doing, but only to what I'm doing, actually, um, John. But to be honest, our whole focus is to build a brand of our authors in total, not just one book and not the, the one book, which is the actual product. It's building the brand overall of the individuals. And we do that through setting up book signings, leveraging reader-focused blogs, obviously trying to get mainstream TV and print and, and all of that. But it's really meant to develop a platform that's going to attract readership and at the same time, build up the brand of those individuals as a whole. Uh, we have clients who've worked with us for four years, five years, a mm -hmm. long-standing relationship. And the reason that happens is because we're not really focusing on one book. I, I tell all of my clients, I don't want to represent you in just one book. I want to represent you in all of your books. And, and part of doing that is not stopping promotion after three months when a new release comes out. Still working on it ongoing throughout the year as, as uh, we move forward in our community so that's what we do that's interesting you say that this is one of the things that um and we'll get into as well because the writers of future was a contest created by mr hubbard l ron hubbard in 83 but he had a when he came back when he re-emerged in, into the world of fiction in uh, 1982 when he released battlefield earth some of his discussions included the uh that the publishing industry treats books like a flash in a pan, you know, after a month, two months, maybe three months, that's it. They're, they're out of there. What's next? And his whole thing was, no, it, it takes a while for the public to, to actually learn about something. And so uh, he goes, you know, it takes a year, it can take a year and a half something to really build up and get that recognition just from repetition of message. So it's interesting that you say this about, you know, you don't stop after three months, you keep on going on building that brand. That's, that's exactly the philosophy he talked about when he reemerged, like I said, with Battlefield Earth. So how did you come upon that? Because that's, I mean, that's, that's absolutely correct. And we've, that's borne out for us in our publishing line. Well, what, what stemmed from it was how my contracts were actually written up. Because I set up my, my contracts with my clients a year at a time with auto renewal at the end of that year. I, I had lots of clients reach or potential clients reaching out to me, asking me if they can sign a three-month or, or four or five-month contract because the mindset is I have a book now you're going to promote it for four months and then the traction and the opportunities are, are gone in the media circles which is not the case actually and when I started this out yeah so when I started this out I was actually very surprised that I was able to still promote a book 10 months later and get traditional media circles and mainstream places to still cover it and so I made the decision not to sign any clients who want that three, four month window because I, I see them as commodities and it's not really building a relationship. It takes three to four months for the media circles to actually start taking effect. And if you're only doing a three month contract, you, you lose all that traction. So mm -hmm. that's, that was the light bulb that went off for me. So well, that's, that's smart. That makes total sense. Like I said, that bears out for me. I do a lot with the rise of future winners. We yep. publicize them. And these, at the beginning, they're no-name authors, no-name artists. But we get so much media for our writers, the future winners. And then sometimes when we have, you know, someone else who comes up with a new book, we can go back to that same media, you know, two, three, four, even five years later 
and we get them. You know, it's it's really easy. We have some great media allies up there in Canada that we, we always go to in the morning TV shows and stuff. That just it works great. You know, I say I got another winner. Okay, good. Let's schedule them. You know, it's it's just a known commodity too because of writers of the future, which is nice because we're thirty seven years old now, going on thirty eight. So, um, you gave me an interesting story about your logo, the the two pieces of um, jigsaw puzzle, the one the white and the one the blue. Can you tell me that story? Because that's a, that's a really really nice story. Yeah, my um, when I started this little company, I wasn't knowing what direction I was going to go with it, or if it was if it was even going to be successful. And we've been in business for five years now, so it's obviously successful from that aspect. But I, I sat down with my da- daughter. Um, who I believe was seven at the time. And um, she's high-functioning autistic. And so me and my daughter and my wife were bouncing ideas back on each other in terms of how to name the company, Author's Edge, Author Spotlight, things like that. And my, my, my daughter stands up and says, Dad, let's set it up as Creative Edge. I'm like, okay, that's cool. What kind of logos should we do? And she goes, well, you're connecting people and you're connecting things. So why don't you get two puzzle pieces and, and put them together in terms of connection? So she really set the name up and created it. And she also devised the logo in some way, shape or form with one of the pieces being blue for standing for autism. And we're huge advocates of that. So yeah, that's that's how that all worked. And uh, even, I mean, she's 14 now and she's, she's taking, um, I guess she was nine at the time when she did this, but... Mm-hmm. she's taking an active interest in, in everything. She's met some of my team and watches dad when he does interviews like this and, and all of that. <laughs> so it's great. Oh, that's awesome. That's, um, yeah, it's interesting you say this about your, your company. I had a, a guest, he's a Rise of Future winner a few years ago from Australia, Jason Fisher, who um, has a company that's also that he works with, um, with kids that are in the uh, autistic band or autistic spectrum rather. And he's got a, a thing called spectrumwriting.com.au. And he totally works on helping through, through creative writing, helping um, autistic children or adults even on deal with their, their, any issues they've got through uh, creative writing. But it's just really interesting that you said that that's not necessarily what you, you do as a company, but that once again, as we mentioned earlier, like how small the world really is, you know, mm-hmm. that different things kind of like just interplay. And it's good because we get with this, this podcast, we're dealing with writers and illustrators of the future. We're dealing with uh, creatives and uh, creatives take all forms, all nationalities, all everything. And so it really has shrunk down this planet incredibly with all the amazing guests I've had. So I'm really happy we're able to, to have this chat and go over this. But yeah, um, good. Yeah. So what's the value? I, I don't think I've asked this yet. What's the actual value of a book publicist? So that someone looking at like, man, I'm just getting going at this and this and this. So what's the actual value of it? When was it, when was it something, something that would actually come into play as I need to do this? Um, that, that's a hard question, but I'll try to leverage it as best as I possibly can. And the reason I say it's a difficult question is I don't ask my authors for their sales data. I don't want to know how well that book is doing because my real focus is is basically boosting the signal of that author's brand. I, I think the true value of what I do in my role is maybe be a mentor as to what opportunities to look for, 
be a sounding board when things aren't going well, if they get a bad review, to talk about that. And then really create some credibility for those members of my team who are trying to get into media circles, who are trying to get into signings, who are trying to get into festivals, things like that. Because the minute that you have full representation, whether it be a publicist or an agent, it creates a more of a professional legitimacy to them and their books. Mm -hmm. And that's what my real goal is. We've had authors who've promoted their books, not had success. We've relaunched them. They've become international bestsellers as a result of my efforts or our efforts as a team. But really, my, my focus is never to guarantee opportunities in the media. And it's never to guarantee sales for books because you just can't do that. Mm-hmm. So there's a risk for sure. But we have success. So, Okay. So then you mentioned pub- book publicist versus agent. So what is the difference between the two? I think the agent is, and I'm, I'm not an agent, so I'll try to, to, to emphasize as much as I possibly can from my understanding, but I, I believe an agent is more around the lines of the publishing aspect, getting the editing down, getting you know self-published people who have written books into the traditional book vein, whereas a publicist is more around the marketing and, and the media aspects and building that growth. And there's definitely room for both because right. I represent many authors who have, who have both of those. So, right. Okay. Yeah. So, so how does brand actually work and when does it become important for an author or for an artist? How does it actually work? I, I think it's, um, you have to really scale back what your image is going to be and determine what you want to do with your books. I've had lots of authors who have had interviews with around potential client aspects and the first thing they say to me is, you're going to get me on Ellen or, or Oprah or, <laughs> or the New York Times. or I hear it all the time. Right. And, and I'm like, okay, but let's scale back a bit. Let's determine what you actually want to do with your platform. And let's try to leverage that first. And, and it's building blocks. Right. I usually start with smaller opportunities. And I've talked about this a lot, but I've started with smaller opportunities gone to medium opportunities, which in turn will turn to larger scale opportunities. Even someone like Robert J. Sawyer, who's like one of the biggest names in science fiction today, he does the small opportunities as well because he still sees a value in getting your book out to some of the readership that that watches and reads those blog posts or those podcasts. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's doing a combination of all three of those, those large, medium, and small opportunity scales, but it's a platform that allows the book to get on a bigger international scale. And that's what we're really trying to do. Now, sales happen and they go with that, great. But that's not my focus. My focus is building my my author's brand. Okay, good. Does that make sense? It does make sense. It's, um, it's interesting how quite often when I start something, they say, oh yeah, so let's get it on in some big, you know, intergalactic TV show. <laughs> yeah. You know, but the, your audience, your listening audience, especially for like genre fiction, isn't necessarily your mainstream Good Morning America, you know. Right. Now, I've not done Good Morning America, but I've, I've done so much smaller stuff. And for our, our winners, you know, one, there's a learning curve on how to do media in the first place, which we'll address that in a little bit with you. But to be able to hit that niche audience that is the 
reading public for your book um, isn't necessarily watching Good Morning America. They might be on such and such a blog or they could be on such and such online radio network or on some other non-traditional form of media that if you don't get on there, your audience is never going to discover you or it's going to be through trickle down of a lot of word of mouth, which you can bypass by getting to the right media for what you are. So do you go in and actually ferret out like what's the appropriate media for author A versus author B versus author C or you just kind of and go for the, the target audience for their their marketplace. So like if a guy's from Toronto, then going for the Toronto media to, to cover them. And if they're from Oshkosh, going for Oshkosh media. How do you do that in terms of building that? We, um, well, I, I developed two strands of, of, of starts with that. I have a general inbox of media circles that I use for everybody. Um, for example, one is Reader's Entertainment Magazine, which posts all of our press releases. Um, everyone, we send them. So that's one aspect where we have general blogs who are catered to reading in all genres and all publics, all of that. Mm -hmm. And then we have a set scale of media per genre. When I And we leverage that as well. When I started, and this is actually due to Robert again, we were very heavy on the science fiction fantasy side of things because those are the main referrals that we were getting. We don't advertise our company to get clients. Um, we base it mostly on word of mouth. Mm -hmm. And because we had Robert J. Sawyer, that obviously spoke volumes. And so we had a lot of referrals from the science fiction fantasy vein. And as a result of that, we got a lot of main contacts and traction within the science fiction and fantasy genres, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, part of that is we were able to leverage that for nonfiction, romance, thriller, crime. And now we have a, a, a strong roster for all those circles. But, but long answer to that is we have general senses and we have very, very specific senses as well. And we cater to both of those. Okay. And you yeah. strictly work with authors. You don't do artists or other creatives. It's just you, you've got authors is your, is your bailiwick. Up until this year, that answer was correct. We actually signed two musicians, actually three musicians. Two of those are authors. One's an international bestseller, Jack Keem Joyner. He's also a, a number one billboard saxophonist. And we also signed Melanie Safka this year, who played at Woodstock and released a global hit brand new key. And I represent her as well. Wow. Okay. That's pretty cool yeah. how you're expanding like that. That's, that's, yeah, and I got that referral from uh, uh, an author I work with who's actually a friend of Melanie's, and we had a good conversation, and now I'm booking her concerts and getting her media out there. So we're branching out a little bit. <laughs> sure sounds it. Congratulations <laughs> on that. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. So this is, this is like, like I said, your, your motto, your mantra is that creative edge publicity, we focus on helping our clients increase their reach, get noticed, and build on their brands. Yep. Now, one thing I've um, observed, um, and I've experienced this multiple times, which is why I put it in, is that um, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink type thing. So you, get a, you can get an author onto media, now what? So how much you actually get into, actually, into working with them to do a proper interview, how to do it, how to answer questions, how to avoid questions? Do you get into a whole thing of, of drilling them and, and 
teaching them? We, um, that's a great question. Thank you for asking that. No one's ever asked me that before, so I'm glad to answer it. Yeah. Um, we, we tend to leverage in our interviews, we, we know who's ready and who's not in terms of skill and labor and all of that. And so if there's an author who I sense is very, very, um, maybe not quite ready yet for the, the big top per se, we, we get them smaller opportunities first to build some confidence up. And then we start getting them the radio and the print and the TV mainstream stuff. And that's what we've done a couple of times before. Um, I work with one author. Her name is Catherine Hudson. She's an international bestseller now. Mm -hmm. But when we started, she was just getting her feet wet in terms of the media piece. And so I got her to do a lot of different blogs, reader-focused blogs again, and, and podcasts and things like that. And then a year and a half later, we actually got her onto Fox TV and she was nervous. And I go, you're ready. You've done enough of this little stuff now that you're confident enough to be able to go onto the TV stage and, and do very, very well. As a result of that TV interview, and she, she nailed it, she, she's now getting opportunities with File 770, um, one of the biggest fan fiction sites, as you're aware, right? Mm -hmm. In science fiction. And um, we actually just got her a review in Publishers Weekly. So in the span of two and a half years, she graduated from smaller blogs to TV to those other scaled opportunities back. So that's, that's my process. And that's yeah. how I do it with everybody, actually. Oh, good. Yeah, I've had um, every year for our, when we have our 12 winners of the Writers' Contest and 12 winners of the Illustrator Contest, we have, um, it's not quite a full day long seminar on media. How do you do a book signing? What do you do? What's, you know, what's the proper etiquette for doing a book signing? How do you talk to a manager or the store personnel? How do you talk to, talk to people? What do you do if there's nobody there? What, you know, all these different things that our do's and don'ts of doing that. And we also go over, we drill how to do their little, I guess, elevator pitch on their story so they can talk yeah. about it. And then, so it doesn't go long-winded. And then the, the host kind of goes, wow. Okay, well, thank you very much. I wish you all the best. Rather than, <laughs> rather than saying, that's fascinating. I wonder if we can make that into a movie or a TV story. Because that's sometimes, I mean, they're yeah. just shooting from the, from the hip, but still... If you, do, if you have a, a good description of your story, it will result in the, the host being, you know, receptive to talking more about it. Absolutely. You know, so we, we go through that whole thing there so that, because they're not going to have, I mean, it's, it's a short story, which makes it even more critical that they get themselves genned in because they're not going to have, I go for getting three media for every winner. That's my, that's kind of like a... Okay what I try to do on, on each of the 24 winners, try to get three pieces of media for each one of them, whether it's uh, print, radio, or TV. And print can also be online these days. But um, yeah, we just drill on us. So I was just curious for yourself, because I find it's very important, because you can also turn media off too. If, if somebody goes and does something and it's a, a bus, the author has a lose and they don't want to continue on doing it. And the media isn't like anxious to have you back. So yeah, we we filter that out as well. There have been some opportunities actually this year that um, well the media hosts no showed on my clients, and so to me that's a hard stop. Like I'm going to cancel that arrangement right now because it's yeah. not a good look, right? Right. Um, same same thing. I mean, it's it's all around professionality, and authors are, and I'm going to 
put them in a group, I guess, and I shouldn't, but I'm going to. Authors are introverts and they don't know what to do in some aspects. Sure. So sure. the whole message around it is, even though you write romance or horror or science fiction, there's still some consistency that needs to be met and there's still some level of professionalism that needs to be met. And you're gonna find more success if you obtain that level of professionalism rather than just be that indie self-published author, which everyone has a stigma against anyways. So that's my message. Okay, good. So now, how does a relationship work with an author so that you know how you can that so you know how you can help them? Like you do a conference and discuss back and forth, or how do you what's how does a relationship start with you besides word of mouth and hey, Mickey? Um, we we have an original meeting as we're talking about contracts and expectations, and we have like a discussion about what what the goals are all the way through. And then once that happens, I, I run a very open door policy, meaning anyone can phone me, anyone could text me any time of the day, 24 seven, it's not a big deal. And we just have conversations all the way throughout the journeys, especially around new release and press release time. But beyond that, we've, we've developed a, a large scale community. I've, I've set up a, a private Facebook group with all my clients on it. No one else can see it, but them. And so they're able to share ideas and things like that. But in addition to that, we actually have a monthly conference call as well where we get people together and the meeting's not mandatory, but we, we get our team together and we talk about what's working and what's not working and what we'd like to see and, and all of that. So it's a very large scale community from that aspect. And uh, we do the same thing with our media people actually as well. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's very, very good. Okay. And then... Are you mostly media or are you mostly bookstore signings, conventions, or you do a mix? Well, you haven't been able to do bookstore events and signing and, and signings and stuff and conventions up until just now opening up again. But yeah. uh, when it was, when, when Mother Earth was open to, to receptive to yeah. us, yeah. How, how'd the mix go between the three of those things, the bookstore signings versus conventions versus um, media? Everything complemented each other. So if I booked a bookstore signing for an author and it was not their local area, we would contact the media, let them know that this individual is in the area with hopes that they're going to cover that mm -hmm. author. Same thing with conventions. I've gotten special guest accolades at many comic cons in the last couple of years. Uh, we have set contracts with When Words Collide out of Calgary, the Imaginarium Festival in Washington, DC, the South Dakota Festival of Books in, in South Dakota, um, they usually give us an option of one special guest a year or whatever. And so once those are set up, we set up media around those events as well. So everything, everything that Creative Edge does for their team, it's all meant to complement what they're doing at this time. Um, so, okay. Yeah. Good. So now in terms of, um, I mean, I've, I've found conventions to be, really there's just a lot of fun as well as um, the potential for doing the either being on the uh, the panels or the media that attends to be able to uh to be guests on their on their programs too have been has been very um been very good and, it, and it's great because that's obviously they're reaching your audience if you're at that convention then that's your public that you're there for and I found that to be really, really good. We'll be going to Dragon Con a little bit later. Oh, that's, good. That's excellent. That's a fun event. Rob usually goes. For sure. To, yeah. Yeah, he does. So now in terms of the media itself, because you've got, 
TV, radio, print, online. There's the blogs, uh, vlogs. How do you, I mean, some of, some of the blogs and vlogs are like as big as mainstream media too these days. You know, that's how you um, utilize me, right? Yeah, exactly. So, is, is there any particular mix on those things that you go for, or you try to get, or you just try to get? Once you got an author and you're ready for a book release, you just you try to, to get as many of them to agree to interview him or her. How does that work? We're we're all about connections and collaborations, and so at the beginning of each year, and we've been doing this for three years. At the beginning of each year, I, I reach out to the connections I built in most in some cases, and we set up full schedules for the year with those arrangements. Wow. Um, we've already got 36 full schedules written up for this year alone with bloggers, podcasters. There's one university radio station in the UK. They interview one of my clients every single week, and they have for two years. So... These are things that we do. We've got two sponsored shows on Authors on the Air, which is a global radio network. They, they broadcast 157 countries, 4 million listeners worldwide through all 30 shows. And is that so, the one from Phoenix? Is that, is that the one out of Phoenix, Authors on the Air? Authors on the Air? I think they're out of, I'm not sure where um, the main office is, but we have three sponsored shows on that network. And so... These are the kinds of things that we're doing. We've, we've got a number of media people that I can go to any month, any day, without sending a release out, and, and we'll get coverage just because of how we've built our relationships up. We've managed to leverage that with some CTV channels as well. The, the, radio, the TV station where I live in Lloydminster, I send them five press releases, and they're giving me five interviews in a given month, no questions asked. So these are the kind of things that we're, we're doing and, and, it, and it's a benefit because we're providing content, but at the same time, we're also getting that media circle back. The right. important thing with doing it is, is sharing. And I mean, we also repres get representation from the, the House of Mystery show, which is broadcast through NBC Radio. And my message to my team is whenever we get something of this stature, we have to share those interviews every single time. Because if you're not going to share it, then why do it? Mm-hmm. So that, yeah. that's the messaging, really. Okay, good. So on, um, do you find that either radio or TV or any of those things are more effective than others for generating? Actually, you don't track sales, but on accomplishing your, your purpose, do you, go, do you try to get the TV or do you try to get the radio or anything that's more book-centric for you that you found? I, I found that a combination of both is where the most effectiveness is. They're both very, very solid mediums. Um, my opinion, TV is more elitist and it may not gear towards sales as much just because they only usually have between five and seven minutes, seven minutes to get the word out about everything. But end of the day, it's still very, very good. And it's exciting for the authors to say I was on TV. Mm -hmm. Um, so that, that's part of it, but, uh, all, all, both of those aspects are very, very effective. And in a lot of cases, actually, it's the smaller podcasts that could be the most effective depending how the authors share those and get the word out about them. Right. Right. I mean, some podcasts will only have like 45, 55 views, but it's what you do with your interview. That's going to show whether or not you're getting effectiveness or not from the opportunities. That's my belief. Yeah, no, that, that's true. Now, how much do you work with your clients on their own personal 
profile with their their blog or their web page or their Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever uh, social platform. Do you do you coach them and work with them how to do that, or do you take it over and do it yourself, your company, do it for them, or how does that how does that work? I let them do their own with that because I mean it's still their brand at the end of the day. I can get them the opportunity, but it's ultimately up to them how they want to leverage those opportunities. Having said that, though, if the author comes to me in three months and says, well, you've gotten me all this stuff, but I haven't done anything with it, like I haven't gotten any sales from it, I, I question them. I say, well, are you sharing it? Are you letting your readers know you've done this? Have you got a media resume on your website? Have you listed me as your publicist on your website? Because these are all things that are going to help build up what their main goals are going to be. Good. So, yeah. So you, you basically coach them along like that. But if they say, well, how do I do this? Do you ever answer the how question or you just say, send them a link to the, the Google video, <laughs> the YouTube video? I, I actually work with a social media guru who's part of my team and, and she coaches us on, on those kind of things. She actually just did a full client, client survey for us. And once we get the survey results back, we'll be having discussions with uh, some individuals on how to better some of these things. And she's already doing that for some aspects. So, Wow. Okay. It's all about leveraging the people who have the strength. Social media is not my strength. I'll be honest about it. So yeah. I get other people to do that for me. I mean, that's totally fine. That, that's, that's your company, though, to be able to provide that as a, mm-hmm. as a service. Because that, that is part of growth of a brand is totally. what, do, what do people see when they, when they go and search you out? Because they're going to say, oh, yeah. Well, what else has he done? So they're going to go to Goodreads. They're going to go to Amazon. They're going to go to try to find a, a web page or social page. Yeah, absolutely. No, for sure. Have you found much success with Goodreads? Have you worked with Goodreads much? I have some reviewers who review both on Amazon, Goodreads blogs, and some magazine aspects. And I find that those reviewers, because they're top 100 reviewers on those circles, mm-hmm. are, are, are more effective than the, the, other, the other ones who are only posting to one or, or the other aspects. But the whole, the whole advantage to, to getting reviews in my mind, it's all well and good to have an Amazon review or a Goodreads review, but if they're being shared on a blog that's getting a lot of traffic or they're getting shared in a magazine that's substantial, that's, that's what we're really focusing on, to be honest. Okay, good. So, um, now do you ever have incidents with a crisis PR with what you're dealing with on, on authors? Does that ever come up as a situation? What do you mean by crisis PR? You know, all of a sudden, you know, the author is, um, he either makes a total idiot of himself on a, on a show or he does something or he gets caught in, in some type of predicament that's bad. I know the worst case scenario for an author is to be found out plagiarizing or they do something scandalous and then all of a sudden it blows up in the media. And now, now what do I do? No, we've been really, and I'm going to knock on wood because we've never had to run into that. We've had a couple of authors who've no showed on live shows and I've had to find a client to make up that spot right away. Um, I cancel the contracts when that happens, by the way, because they should know their calendars, but um, (laughs) we've never had anything bad happen from a media standpoint in that aspect. Um, I think the reason for that though is our selection and, and how we gauge things because I'm always coaching the team on whatever 
you do affects 82, because we have currently about 82 clients, affects 82 other opportunities that we could be getting. So it's very, very careful that the messaging and the professionalism and the imagery is always consistent within, right. within our team. Okay, that makes sense then. So um, maybe you can just provide a, a couple of stories of how um, how an author's career's trajectory has changed as a result. You mentioned you a little bit at the beginning of this thing. You mentioned a little bit one on one of them, one of the authors. Yeah. But any other specific stories of how um, having as a publicist has changed the tra trajectory of a writer's career? Well, and I'll go back to the one I was referencing earlier because I think it's an important story and it's a very, very good luck story, actually. Mm -hmm. um, I represent Catherine Hudson. She's an international bestseller now. She wrote a book called Sleepwater Beat before we started working together, released it, she self-published. She released it, didn't get a lot of traction. Um, she'll admit that herself. Her fan base, but that's about it. We ended up relaunching the book about six months after we started working together and the book was a year old and we relaunched it. And that's when we got onto Fox to talk about this book because we relaunched it and got the word out to media about the book. And all of a sudden her, her writing career with this took off. She got on file 770. She got on Fox news. She was featured in curve magazine, which is the world's biggest lesbian magazine. The book's actually LGBTQ status. So we got her on there. And she's been taking off ever since. For a while, she was a top reviewer at Top Shelf Magazine. She's had so many accolades in terms of quality and, and all of that. So that's one aspect. Um, another opportunity that we did do, I represent New York Times bestseller Tosca Lee. And she's got a lot of accolades. She has 12 books, one of the top fiction Christian writers in the business industry. Four of her books are being optioned for television. I can't say who does to do logistics, but um, we ended up getting her on the Beautiful Writers podcast. And other interviews on that podcast have been Tom Hanks, Lee Child, Dean Koontz, very, very, very big names, and Tosca was one of them. Um, Linda Silverstein, I hope I pronounced her last name correctly, who's a New York Times bestseller herself who runs a podcast, made an arrangement to get all of the episodes put onto all of the uh, American Airlines flights, the company American Airlines. So Tosca's interview was on all of those flights before COVID hit. So it was a very big coup for us. And um, she, she gets to share the fact that she was um, broadcast with Tom Hanks, which is always a big deal. Sure. So those are a couple of the good news stories that we've done. Good. And so that just takes and obviously elevates a person considerably with that. All the way through. Great. Anytime I send the media something of Tosca now, it's not even a question. They're, they're, they're covering it. Wow. That's great. Yeah. So now, like, like I mentioned earlier on this thing, so you represent Rob Sawyer, who's a contest judge and a multiple yep. contest entrant. At the start of his career, he had entered the contest multiple times, and then he, pro he proed out, meaning he... Um, he sold a novel and so no longer qualified for the contest. We have uh, Melissa Yee, who was a winner as Melissa Juan Ennis. Uh, Mark Leslie, who I mentioned that as a keynote speaker, Rise of the Future. And then Ace, who 
actually on the, I think it was the 80th anniversary of Elvin Hubbard as a professional writer, he, he did a presentation. Um, Fantastic. To, uh, yeah. So these are all the clients that you've got there. But it's, um, it's just interesting how you said how the world gets really small when I looked on your webpage after being introduced to you. And then all of a sudden, wow, all these people, I never, I'd never even heard of you because I've talked to Rob about all kinds of things and it never yep. came up. But um, then as, as soon as I heard your accent, then I heard where you were from. I said, okay, that answers that question. <laughs> <laughs> He's been a huge advocate of me, like really just huge advocate. And it's been a very good working relationship. Yeah, he's, he's such a nice man. I agree. So one thing that um, it hasn't come before, but since you, you know, you said you were a publicist, um, I've never mentioned this before, but because Owen Hubbard did all kinds of different things. He was very involved just in life. But one of the things he did, he worked for a company called Midwest Rogers, which is a real generic sounding name, but they put on Centennials. This was in 1949. He did training on that, but because uh, they wanted him as a writer, because he was a, a really popular writer in America and he traveled a lot so he could write stuff. This was about the, the California Centennial. And so they wanted to write, but he said, no, before you write for us, you need to take our school on how to put on Centennials. So he did a whole training lineup of being able to put on a Centennial before they would let him write copy for the California Centennial. But uh, he totally knows or totally knew the, the value of, of a publicist and what a publicist could actually do to take an event and put it into the stratosphere, you know, which is, I think, a message I want people to get out of this podcast is that the value of a publicist, if you actually do your homework on it, because I'm just like anything, you can also have shysters too, people that just want your money and not necessarily interested in, in really helping you out. But the value of, of someone who's really got their integrity in, and I'm definitely seeing that and talking with you right now. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, and especially also with uh, the clients, because I definitely trust their, you know, respect their their um, opinions as well. So obviously if they're going with you, you know, they've gone with you for a like I said, with Rob Sawyer since 2017, you said? I think it was 17 or 16. When um, the yeah. trade paperback of Quantum Night came out when he signed with me. Yeah. So, um, and Rob has no problem saying, hasta la vista, baby, if, if he <laughs> thinks that you're, a, if you're not Absolutely. a square shooter. Absolutely. If you're not a square shooter, he's, he's done with you. Yeah. So this is really good on that. But on the thing of finding a publicist now so obviously people are going to know about you and we'll get into how to, how to find you when we get to the end of this of this uh, sure. show but what can a person do to know if they're if they're like barking up the wrong tree or if they've got somebody that's going to be good what would you recommend as uh as uh do's and don'ts or what to watch out for or what to look for I, I think it's important for authors and i love this question as well because there are there are a lot of not good publicists out there, and and yeah. and the, I've been fighting this stigma for five years that publicists are lazy. All they want is your money. They're not going to get you any real opportunities. They're going to take all your money and run, things like that. So I've been fighting this stigma myself for five years, and I, I think it's important that authors do their homework, ask a lot of questions. You know, if, if a publicist is, is offering to talk with an author for an hour initially and they're charging a fee for doing that, to me, that's a red flag. Um, I, don't, I don't do any of that. We actually don't take any money up front at all. And, and we only charge our clients when they're actually booked for something. So in essence, if I don't book a client an interview, they don't pay me anything ever. 
So that's, that's how I work my business. But it's really important that authors do a lot of homework and ask a lot of tough questions. Like, where have you gotten your clients? Options. Um, I mean, client, publicists are never going to be able to guarantee sales. There's just no way they're going right. to be able to ever guarantee that. Right. If they're saying, I can guarantee you a million dollars in sales, I think they're shysters because I don't know of any decent publicists that can guarantee that. But end of the day, it's it's what you bring to the table. And, and ask for testimonials too. I mean, whenever I meet with clients, I offer. I say, do you want Robert J. Sawyer to give you a testimonial or, or Catherine Hudson or Tosca Lee? They'll all do it. So, I mean, it's all about doing your proper homework and understanding. If you're paying money up front, it's probably too good to be true. That's my belief. Okay, good. And then on the, the th are there web pages or societies or anything like that that show like these are proven publicists or, you know, there's associations? Because sometimes with other, with other organizations, you know, like for editors, you know, you can go to pages and if you're if they're part of a certain consortium, then you know that they're gonna be okay. Is there such a thing for publicists? I think Publishers Weekly, well, I know Publishers Weekly has a list because I was able to put my name on their list, but there's lots of newspaper articles about top 25 publicists out there and, and things like that. So it's really, again, it, the author just needs to do some homework around that and, and have decent hard interviews and discussions. That's really what this is about because there's a lot of bad publicists out there who make a lot of promises and you're spending a lot of money and you're not seeing anything out of it. It's it's true. Right. I'm not one of them, but I, I'll let my clients speak to that. So, Right. Well, that's that's good. Now, have you, like I said, we've got some of my, uh, one of my judges and winners on from Writers of the Future on there. Are you very familiar at all with Writers of the Future or have you? Yes, Robert's actually talked to me a little bit about, about um, your platform in the past. I didn't know that Melissa was a winner on that, but that's, it doesn't surprise me because she's an incredible writer. So, yeah. 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 We've got, uh, we've had quite a few and it's, what's good about it is, you know, your, your mentality of how you operate is, as long as same channels of what we do is, yeah. as how Owen Hubbard created the, the contest. And I've done a lot of my own publicity for the contest. And I work with someone who I, I trained up to do publicity and I yeah. hire him now as a, as a publicist, but it's that type of thing, you know, it's just, if you get something booked, you know, I'll, he gets paid and if it runs, he gets, he gets double, you know, so we just booked and run and we just run it like that to, to the publicity for the, the writers. Yeah, but that's the thing with with the contest is as um, Mr. Hubbard set it up. We've done really well in Canada, and um, we've had a lot of we've had many winners there. And it's just because it's blind judging. You know, the judges have no idea who they're reading or whose art they're they're looking at. It's just because all they see is a number connected with the story, and on that there's no entry fee, so anybody can enter who's We've got high school kids. We've got junior. Just anybody can enter the contest. There's no, there's no requirement other than the fact that can't be a professional author. But it's, this is really good. I'm glad we're doing this this interview here because this is the type of of a business or a business model that I really respect. You know what you've got going you. here. You know with this, and I think it's important that people, if they're looking at building a, a career as a, a writer, 
you haven't talked about artists, you know, because you haven't anything with artists, but musician, but I, I definitely speak to both writers and artists. The need for having a brand is, is very important, especially in today's age when there's so much out there. How do you stand out? And a brand is one way you can actually do that. For sure. So just then a little bit, um, we're down to our last 10 minutes here. Mm -hmm. So on a, on a brand, why is it, I mean, you're looking, oh, duh, but why is it important that a person have a brand? Products are interchangeable. I mean, everybody can write a great book. Um, there's lots of successful authors who don't write very, very good books, but they're marketing geniuses in terms of getting the word out. And, and they've got the leverage of the big houses to do that. So brand is, is ultimately so important because if your brand is legitimate and it's professional and the image is there, any product you put out is going to attract a fan base of some sort. And that's what I'm trying to gear down with all of my members of my team as well. Because if your brand is, is not a great looking brand, no matter how good your book is or no matter how good that CD is or any product, you're never going to have success. You might have minimal success in the beginning and you might hit the Amazon bestseller list, but you're not going to stay there. And, that, and that's the whole focus around, around this is to be consistent and, and stay there in some way, shape or form. Okay, good. Social media is, is like a, it can be like a, a trap that can suck you in there and then you can get really involved in all the other unniceties of social media. Do you ever coach on sticking to your brand and don't vary from it? Don't get into the hateful stuff. Don't diss other, other writers. Don't go into politics. Don't go into religion. Just keep it really focused on your brand, on all your utterances. Is that something that you preach? I do. And in a lot of cases, depending on the, the author's quality of book or whatever they're talking about. I even suggest, you know, getting a personal Facebook page or, or a personal page and then getting an author page and, and trying to keep them clean in, in some way, shape or form. Um, there have been times where authors have posted something that I didn't think was the right image for them. And I have a lot of media looking at my team's pages because they know me and they know the clients I represent. So mm -hmm. my messaging is we don't, want the media to see something that's not right. So if it doesn't look right, or if it doesn't feel right, then it shouldn't be posted right. I mean, it's all about that. It's again, you're representing Creative Edge when you're doing that because you're part of this. So, right. And I'm guilty yeah, that, of it myself. So I, I stifle myself as well within that. So, yeah. 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 Cause it's one thing that was Ace was saying too, is like the, the internet's forever. Is. If you post something that's like disparaging, derogatory, hateful, sexual, that media will go, fans will go and they'll look at it and go, oh my gosh, he said this or he did that. I just, I changed my mind. I'm no longer going to subscribe and promote him or her because of, of yep. that. And um, you see it frequently in Hollywood, you know, where someone takes their own personal perspective and they mix it with their their brand and it has it backfires on them and it's just something that people definitely need to understand is that 
people look, they'll, they'll take the time, they'll spend two hours going back and looking through your, your timeline to see what you've done. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a hard lesson because, you know, authors are introverts and they're artistic and they want freedom, especially self-published authors, because they don't have anybody else to answer to really. They're writing their books and mm -hmm. they're putting them out. Right. So they want to be able to do what they need to do. And in some cases, sometimes it's, it's not good because they get offended by what someone's wrote about them or reviewed about them. And they want to take that to their own stead. But when you're part of a publicity team, such as, as ours, I emphasize always stay professional always because we don't want to deal with that. Yeah. 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 I mean, you might start off and you're like, okay, well, I'm just, uh, you know, you might consider like you're, you're not popular, you don't have this, but at some point when the, the curve kicks in and you start getting that popularity, you don't want to say something when, well, I was just a, a silly novice then when I, when I said that, I didn't really mean it, I was just spouting off. It doesn't work like that. TV will always remember if you've done something negative, trust me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> right? Yeah. You don't want to tick uh, off CBC or CTV, especially in Canada, because good luck getting any exposure. Yeah. No, it's just, <laughs> it's just not worth it. And just, you know, the having thick skin is, is important. And one would think that if, you know, as an author, you go through a quite often going through your 100, 200, 300 rejects in order to get your, the stories that you'd have published that your skin will get a little bit thicker, but you got to really have the thick skin on media stuff. And if someone doesn't like your story, well, thank you for at least checking it out. You know, we're in the no business. The word is yeah. always no. So you have to find ways to bypass that. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So any particular tips? We've gone through a lot of stuff in this, <laughs> you know, in this interview here, but anything particular I didn't ask you, or I think that's important that should be made known to um, an author with respect to a publicist, publicity, getting a publicist, I didn't ask? No, I, I, again, I think this has been a great interview and an overview, but I think we've hit all the points. I mean, again, I always emphasize two things with authors I'm meeting for the first time. Number one, have a plan in place, understand what your vision is, have real expectations. And, and, and I guess the one thing I will say is, understand that working with a publicist is actual work. We we don't, as publicists, wave a magic wand and all these good things happen to them. It just doesn't <laughs> happen like that. Right, That's the misconception, right, right. is that I'm going to be, you're going to give me your book or the author's going to give me their book and I'm going to be able to do all these things and wha-bam, they're a multi-million seller. But it's actual work. And whenever I'm signing an author, it's a relationship. There's going to be times where we butt heads. There's going to be times when we celebrating successes and positivities and it's it's a team community and I, I think that authors need to understand that when you're signing up with a publicist and probably even an agent it is actual work and and you just don't hand something off and expect that that individual to to make you a huge success because it doesn't happen good good so if someone wants to be able to find mickey mickelson where do they go how do, how do they how do they find you my website is www.creative-edge.services. That's where they can find me. I'm on Facebook. Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. 
all the social media aspects. And if you go to my website and click on the client page, you'll see all of my clients right there. And you Great. can ask any one of them. They'll be glad to tell you the truth. Good. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Mickey. This has been a thank great hour long interview here that we've had. I just, I knew it'd go really fast and indeed oh. it did. <laughs> well, well, thank you for the opportunity and uh, I just really appreciate it today. Great. And thank you for listening to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. These contests were created by Owen Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. If you've not gotten a copy of the Writers of the Future book, I highly recommend you do it. They're great stories. They are, in fact, the writers and artists selected by our judges as the best of the best new writers and artists. And again, thank you very much, Mickey. Thank you.